Good morning. Good morning, church family. Can everybody hear me? Can y'all hear me in the back? All right, we're good now. Yeah, Tom Croft and I, we uh, we figured out we this is the uh, this is the it needs to be louder, it needs to be softer, and this the same as the boat signals. So, um, so welcome everybody here. So glad to see you. We have been talking for the past four weeks about this question, very general question, very broad question, but also a very important question, which is who are we? And for the past four weeks, we've been talking about who we are as human beings. We've been talking about things that relate to everybody in the world, regardless of our faith, regardless of where we live. And today we're going to be talking about who we are, not just as human beings, but as a church family. We're going to be talking about our vision, what God has called us together to do, and what God has called us together to be. And also, practically, what it's going to look like for us to do that. So we're talking about who we are as a church family. So before we do our scripture reading today, so I want to do something a little bit different. So I've heard that for some of us who have been a part of Northwest for a number of years, I've heard from certain people that when all of the elders come up on stage, people get PTSD. <laughs> because in the past, when all of the elders have been on the stage and the, the front of the mulch, I should say, that in the past, when all the elders have been up front at the same time, we've been announcing some bad news or we've been announcing a major transition or something like that. So we're going to change that today. Okay, so I'm going to invite all the elders to come up, um, not because of there's any new announcement, but so that you can see who the elders are. Um, because these are the, the men that God has called to serve us, that God's called us to serve you as a church family. And we've had some guys who have gone on sabbatical, some guys have cycled off the elder team, some guys have cycled on the elder team. And so we just wanted them to come up so that they can uh, introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about themselves so you can get to know them, because these are the, the men that we get together frequently to pray for you and to talk about the church, and we're always available if you ever want to talk about anything, if you need advice or counsel on anything, or if you just need prayer. So, yeah, if you guys could just introduce yourselves and say whatever you want to say. <laughs> Not anything you want to say, you know what I mean. The, my name is Zach Kirby. Uh, my wife Kelly and I have been coming to Northwest for almost 10 years now. Uh, we have five kids. Uh, the oldest is 21. The youngest is almost three. So, yeah, we got quite a gap there. Um, but, yeah, we've, I've been serving on the elder team for about two years as well. My name is Brian Cross. My wife Brittany and our four kids. Are, we've been at Northwest for since 2012. Moved from Arizona to get some seasons. I'm thankful for this weather we have right here. This is beautiful. Um, been part of life groups ever since we've been attending Northwest as well. Hey, I'm Matt Rice. <clears throat> wife is Dana. I have four kids, and they are. Um, all the way from 14, the youngest, to 18, the oldest. There are no gaps there, Zach. Um, <laughs> four and a half years, four kids. So, And I also am a staff member here at Northwest. And so, 
Ryan, my wife Lindsay, and I, we have three kids, and we have been members of Northwest since 2009, and I've been an elder since the beginning of this year. Hi, I'm Aaron Kiefer. My wife Casey and I have been coming to Northwest since 2008 when we were out on a bike ride together and saw the Northwest banners. And we have three kids, Eli, London, and Nora, and we also bring Pepper to church on Sunday mornings. And I'm David Amon, uh, also a staff elder. Have been here since 2009, an elder for the last two years, I think. I uh, have three kids. Um, and yeah. Well, thanks, guys. Um, and y'all can go back to your seats. And Brian, would you, would you pray for us before the scripture reading? Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled that we get to gather together as your people. We get to sing your praises that you're worthy of. Father, as we read your scripture and as we draw close to you, we know it's only because that you've made it possible because you first loved us and want a relationship with us. So, Father, as we worship you, as we sing your praises, may you draw near to us in this place. May your spirit be poured out on each of our lives that we may grow closer and closer to you and become more and more like you. Be with us today and open our hearts to learn and to also apply what it is you want us to hear this morning. Again, we're grateful that you called us here. Thanks for giving us a place to call church this place. We love you, Lord. Be with us as we worship and we hear from you. In Jesus' name. So our scripture reading this morning uh, is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks, guys. Yeah, like I said, today we're talking about who we are as a church family. I want to start off and just ask a question. I don't know if this is a question that you've thought before. Maybe it's a question that you're asking. Um, maybe it's a question you ask often. Maybe it's a question you never thought of before. My question is, what does it mean to be a successful church? What does it mean to be a successful church? I wonder if you, when you think about our church, I wonder if you think that we are a successful church. I wonder if you think we're succeeding as a church. And probably lots of us 
think about that question, if we have thought about that question, are we a successful church? We, we think about it in different ways. We think about it with different criteria. You know, maybe for, for some of us, you, you might look at our church and say, well, no, we're not successful. Look, we don't, I mean, you're not successful unless you have a thousand people, right? When we get to be a thousand people, well, then we'll be successful, okay? Maybe people would look at our church and say, well, how can you say we're successful? We don't even have a building. Of course, we're not successful, a church is, you know, the church is the, the steeple and the cross at the top and, you know, the, the marquee sign, and, um, and that's what a church is. No, we don't have that. Of course, we're not successful. Maybe for other people, the definition of a successful church is a church that has a really big social media presence where you're getting you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of podcast downloads or, you know, on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook, you have this huge following or, or something like that. What does it mean to be a successful church? Maybe on the other hand, there'd be some of you that would say, no, the reason I like this church, the reason that, you know, I think this is a quote-unquote successful church is because it's not a thousand people. Maybe you've been to big churches and, you, and you were, you're enjoying getting involved in a church that doesn't have a couple thousand people, right? Maybe you like being outside, whatever it is. But are we a successful church? What does it look like to be a successful church? Because as we, as we meet here, we don't want to just show up and show up and show up and show up and kind of just do this thing every week just because we're supposed to do this thing. We want there be, to be a purpose, right? And if we're going to talk about, if we're going to ask the question, if you're going to ask the question, if I'm going to ask the question, are we a successful church? We need to know what our purpose is. We need to know what our mission is because if, we don't, if we're not clear on what our purpose and mission are, then we're not going to be able to tell, we're not going to be able to evaluate if we're successful or not. We might be successful at getting a lot of people to come. We might be successful at a certain type of a program. But if we're not being successful at accomplishing the purpose that God's called us to, well, then we're not successful, right? So what has God called us to do? Well, in the passage that Zach just read, and you can go ahead and turn there with me, in Matthew chapter 28. So Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has died. The disciples are devastated. They're just devastated. They're heartbroken. Here's this guy. They'd followed around. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the son of God. They thought he could forgive sins. They thought he was the king who was going to free them from their oppressors. And then he's arrested and executed. And they're devastated. They're absolutely devastated. They think, the past three years following Jesus has been a waste. What have we been doing here? This is terrible. They're devastated and they're scared. But then something happens. That Jesus rises from the dead 
And he appears to them, and he shows them, and he spends time with them, and, and they're convinced, they believe, they trust that Jesus rose from the dead. And not only do they trust that he is who he says he is, they, they worship him, and they love him, and they want to give their lives to him. And so they come to this point in Matthew chapter 28, which is the, the passage that we're looking at today, where Jesus is about to go back to the Father, and the disciples have, they kind of have this question, the same question that I'm kind of asking right now, like, well, okay, what are we supposed to do? All right, you are who you said you are. You are who you say you are. You, you can give us eternal life. You can forgive our sins. What should we do? And this is what he tells them. He tells them very clearly in Matthew 28, chapter, or Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19, he says to go, therefore, and to do what? He says to go, therefore, and to make disciples of all nations. That's a pretty good verse. Somebody should write that on a board and paint it on a board and put it on the back of our church stage. <laughs> um. So that, that is the purpose that God has called us to, this God, God's called us to fulfill. Okay, so if we're making disciples, then we're successful. If we're not making disciples, well, then we're not successful. Okay, and this is where we get this language that you guys have heard us talk about over and over and over again, which is that we, you know, who are we? We are a, a family of what? A family of disciples making disciples. So we're a family and we're disciples, but not only are we being disciples, we're also making disciples, right? Well, the question is, and again, we throw this phrase around a lot. We use this phrase a lot. I hope you can remember it by now, a family of disciples making disciples, and we're going to keep saying it. But what does this mean? You know, if I'm one of Jesus's 12 original disciples, or if I'm, you know, one of Jesus's, one of the millions or billions of Jesus' disciples today, I'm asking that question, okay, make disciples. What does that mean? Make a disciple. How do you, how do you make a disciple? Like, I know how to make a sandwich. <laughs> how do I make a disciple? What are the ingredients for a disciple so that I can make one, right? Well, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but Jesus, he, he doesn't just tell us what to do. He tells us how to do it. Do you notice that? So in verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then he says, he uses two action words or action, yeah, action words, two verbs in the rest of verse, in verse 19 and verse 20, that tells us what it means to make disciples. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go and make disciples. How are we supposed to do that? Well, he says, first of all, it involves baptizing baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, it involves baptizing. And second of all, he says it involves teaching. Teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to make disciples. How are we supposed to do that? He says it involves two things. He says it involves baptizing and it involves teaching. All right? So, so what is baptism? Okay, 
baptism is basically when we, again, we're a family of disciples making disciples. Baptism is when somebody is, we're, we're talking about our faith, we're sharing about who Jesus is, what he says, what, he, what he's done, what he's done for us, what he teaches. We're talking about that. And then when somebody trusts in Jesus as well, we welcome them into God's family through baptism. Baptism is when we celebrate that God is adopting somebody into his, his family. Okay, that's what, that's what baptism is, all right? And we had the chance to do this this, this spring with Kevin Gordon and, and Cameron Wellborn. Wasn't that cool? And what we're doing there is we're, we're celebrating that God is adopting them into his family, that he is adopting them to be our, our brothers, to, so we can be, the, be a family of brothers and sisters, okay? That's the first thing, is that we're welcoming people into God's family. We're talking about Jesus. We're sharing about who Jesus is, what he says, what he's done. We're talking about him. We're sharing about him. We're living it out. And then when somebody believes, we welcome them into the family of God through baptism, okay? Well, what's the next step? The second step is teaching them to obey all that God, that Jesus has commanded us. Well, I wonder if there's any of you guys that when you hear this word obey, and especially you hear that word commandment, like, okay, commandment sounds like a heavy-handed word, right? And it is a heavy-handed word, okay? But is there anybody else that when you hear, when you, when you hear we need to obey commandments, does anybody cringe a little bit when you hear that? I feel like sometimes in the church, especially today, obedience gets a bad rap. That if growing up the way I did in an evangelical church, you know, very often when you talk about, oh, we just need to obey Jesus, we would be uncomfortable sometimes because, you know, that sounds a little bit like what? That sounds a little bit like, like legalism. Like, wait a minute, I thought it was about faith. I thought it was about grace. What's this all about o obeying? I think sometimes that obedience can, can get a bad rap, that we can be afraid of, of these words like command or these words like obedience. So what is this talking about? What does this mean? Well, I want you to think about this with me for a second. I know some of you have adopted children before, right? We just said that baptism is when we're celebrating adopting somebody into the family of God, right? So I know some of you have adopted before, and, and typically, you know, in many cases, when you adopt a, a child, the, you adopt a child who is, who's, who's a baby, who's, who's very small. The, they don't have, you know, lots of, of experiences. They don't have lots of, uh, of life experiences or things that they've gone through with their family of origin. You adopt them when they're very young, and so they grow up as just the, the only family they ever really know is, is their, their adopted family. But think for a second, what if you adopt... What if you adopt a 10-year-old, okay, or if you adopt a 12-year-old, a child that they've had some life experiences, they've, they've grown up to a certain extent already in a particular family, maybe not a particularly healthy family. They've grown up in this family. They've learned certain habits. They've learned certain ways to interact. They've learned certain rhythms of life. And then you adopt them into, you adopt them into your, your family. What's the first thing that you're going to do after you've adopted them into your family? What are you going to do? 
you're going to come alongside them and you say, hey, let us show you how we live in this family. Let us teach you our family values. As a part of this family, we have certain ways that we do things. You know, we, we don't hit each other. We don't steal from each other. We have dinner together. We, we go on these family vacations or, or things like that. These are our family values. These are our family rhythms. This is how we do life together as a family. And you teach them to obey the family rhythms. You teach them to obey the family, the family, family values. Does that make sense? Now, what if you adopted this, this 12-year-old and you adopt him, you, all the paperwork's finished, you know, all the legally speaking, you know, it's completely settled. Um, you know, they're, they're your child, they're in your family. And you start telling them like, okay, you know, here in this family, when we get mad, we like, sometimes we get mad, but we don't hit each other. Okay. Sometimes we, uh, you know, we, we don't, we don't cuss at each other. Like when, when mom and dad say to do something, we, we, we do it. We don't steal from each other. We, we have dinner together every night. We, we share these different things. We do these different activities together. And what if the child said, wait, wait a second, hold on, wait just a minute. I thought it was already a part of the family. Like, so you mean to tell me that if I mess up one day and I lose my temper and I hit my brother and my sister that you're going to kick me out of the family? You mean to tell me that, you know, if I, if I use dirty language, you're going to kick me out of the family? I don't know if I like this. I thought it was already a part of the family. Now you're putting all these conditions on it. Well, what would you say to that child to help them understand what you're doing? You come to him and you put your arm around him. And you say, hey, we're not teaching you to obey these family values so that you can be a part of the family. We're teaching you to obey these family values, to obey these rules in our family because you are a part of this family. Do you see the difference there? We're not obeying so that we can become God's children. We're obeying because we already are God's children. Does that make sense? And that's a huge difference. And so many of us, we live life with this fear around obedience because we don't realize that we've been adopted into God's family and there's nothing that could ever change that, right? So we baptize people, we welcome them into God's family, we celebrate their being adopted to sons and daughters, and then we, we teach them our family values. We teach them to obey the things that Jesus has taught us. And guess what? We, we get to share with them, life is better this way. It's not just a bunch of arbitrary rules. It's not just a bunch of hoops to jump through. Our big brother, Jesus, our big brother slash king, Jesus, he has, he's our perfect example, and he's our perfect teacher of all of the things that we should do within this family of all of our family values, okay? Well, what are some of our family values? I want to give you three of them. I want to give you three family values, and you can, you can write these down, or we're going to be talking about these a lot over the, next, over the next several months. What are our family values that we want to help each other, you know, whether it's, it's Cameron or Kevin who have, just been, have, who have just been welcomed into our church family in the past few months, or, or whether it's some of us that have been a part of this church for a long time or maybe even grew up as, as Christians? 
what are the family values that we want to teach each other to observe? What are the commands that we want to teach each other and equip each other to obey? I want to give you three things. I was giving to you, you know, all at once, and then we'll, we'll break them down and talk about each three individually. Well, so the first one is open Bible, then open life, and then open faith. Okay, open Bible, open life, and then open faith. Open Bible, open life, open faith. So what does it mean? What does open Bible mean? Open Bible means that you can be a self-feeder. Open Bible means being a self-feeder, which means that you're able to open up God's word, to read it, to understand it, to learn about who God is, and to apply it to your life, and, and to then share what you're learning with others too. I love this verse. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 16. And again, these are some of the things that Jesus has commanded us through his spirit. You know, after Jesus, he went back to heaven, then he, he sent his Holy Spirit, which inspired the apostles to write down his commands to us through, through the New Testament. And then in verse 16, he says, this is Paul writing, he says, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Isn't that great? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what is he telling us to do here? He says, it's not enough just to read the Bible. It's not enough just to hear a sermon. We need to be letting the word of Christ, we need to be letting the Bible, we need to be letting God's words dwell in us richly, where we're, we're, we're not just reading it and it's kind of in one ear and out the other, but we're, we're digesting it, we're understanding it, we're applying it to our lives, we're meditating on it throughout the week. And then what's really cool is what, is what he says happens next. Look at what, what happens in the, in the second half of verse 16. He says, once the word of Christ dwells in you richly, what starts to happen? You start to teach and admonish each other in all wisdom, right? So the, if I can become a self-feeder, if I can start to read my Bible on my own, to personally read the Bible, to understand it, apply it, obey it, then what happens is I can start sharing what I'm learning with, with other people. It's kind of like if I'm starving, if I don't know how to cook, if I don't have any money, if I don't know where to buy food, you know, then I can't help anybody else. But if I know how to cook, if I know where to get food, if I have money to buy food, well, not only can I start to be healthy and, and nourish myself, I can invite people over for dinner. And I can take something I'm learning in the Bible and I say, hey, this is something that God showed me recently. I think this would be encouraging to you. Okay, that's the open, that's the open Bible. So first of all, it's open Bible. Second of all, open life. Basically, what this means is that we want to act like a family. We've used this terminology a lot that we're, we're not just... You know, we're not, a, we're not just an organization. We're, we're not a club. We're not, I don't know, name the kind of, name the term. We're a family. And, when, and 
this language of adoption, Romans 8 says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but given us the spirit of, of adoption as sons and daughters of God, that we are a family. And if we are a family, we should act like it. We should treat each other like a family. And in a healthy family, what are we doing? We're not just putting on a mask. We're not just putting on a face. We're not just saying, oh, everything's fine. My marriage is fine. My family's fine. Oh, work's going great. Oh, a little bit tired, but everything's okay. We're not just doing that. We're, we're sharing our lives deeply with each other. We're letting each other in. We're letting each other in to see not just the, the pretty, kind of impressive parts of our lives, but also the, the less attractive parts of our lives. We let people in to see the ways that we're struggling. And when we are struggling, when we're going through something hard, we don't, we don't withdraw, we don't pretend everything's okay, but we, we come to each other so that we can bear each other's burdens. We confess our sins to each other so that we can encourage each other. We speak the truth in love to each other so that we can help each other. We rejoice alongside each other, and then we mourn and grieve alongside each other too. So that's the second one. First of all, open Bible. Second of all, open life. Thirdly, open faith. Okay, open faith. The principle of open faith, our family value of open faith, what this means and this is an important distinction too. Our faith as disciples of Jesus, our faith is personal. It's personal, but it's not private. Does that make sense? Our faith is personal, but it's not private. Okay, so I, you know, I, I'm not, I believe in Jesus myself. And I hope you believe in Jesus for, for yourself as well. It's a personal faith. But it's not private where we just completely keep it to ourselves and never let anybody see it. Okay, Matthew 5 says that we should do what? We should let our light shine before men. It says, don't, if you have, if you have a lamp, you're not going to cover it up with a basket. The whole reason you light a lamp is so that it'll shine and it'll give light to people. And so people, it, it illuminates and it, it brings warmth or it brings heat or it brings it brings clarity whatever the purpose of it is okay in the same way we're supposed to not just keep our faith hidden on Sunday morning or hidden in our quiet time we're supposed to we're supposed to let our light shine onto the people around us we do this by talking about Jesus by sharing what he's done for us by helping people understand the truth of the gospel, and also by our, our actions, by the way we love people, by the way we serve people. Our faith, is a, it's a personal faith, but it's not a private faith because it's a faith that is going to be shining onto the people around us. It's a faith that's going to be apparent, that's going to be having an impact on the people around us, whether that's Christians or whether that's non-Christians, whether that's our neighbors or our coworkers or, or whoever it might be. Okay, so open Bible, open life, and then open faith. Okay, these are our family values. So let me get back to that question that I asked at the very beginning there. Are we a successful church? Are we a successful church? How will we know 
that we are a successful church? Well, we'll know that we're a successful church when we see that people are coming to know Christ and when we see that people are learning to obey the commandments and the teachings of, of Jesus. That's how we measure if we're a successful church. So are we a successful church? Well, I want to steal a line from Charlie Rogers that Charlie likes to say that I think is really good. It's about progress, not perfection. Isn't that good? It's about progress, not perfection. So if we say, are we a successful church? That's almost not really the right way to say it, right? Because it's not like you get to a certain point and you say, okay, now we are a successful church. We get the stamp. We put up the championship banner. That's not the way it works. It's about progress, not perfection. So maybe a better way to ask the question would be, is God working in our church? Is the Holy Spirit moving in our church? Is God making a difference? Is he changing us? Is he working in us? Is he working among us? And is he working through us? Well, I want to say that are, are we perfect? Of course not. We're far from perfect. I'm far from perfect. All of us are far from perfect. And as a church, you know, we have, we have a long way to go. But are we making progress? Are we seeing God work? Are we seeing God change people's lives? Are we seeing the Holy Spirit transform people? Are we seeing people learn how to live out our family values of open Bible, open life, and open faith? Absolutely. We absolutely are. I want to give you a few examples. You know, a, a few, several months ago, actually about a year ago, I started meeting with several guys in, in our church. I started meeting with, with uh, Travis Gunther and Matt Embry and Ming Lee and Matt Trebbing and Cameron Wellborn, Stephen Greenlee. And we've just been, we've been, we've been going through the Bible. We've been trying to learn some of those self-feeder skills, Okay, learning how to do inductive Bible study, how to observe, interpret, and apply, and really trying to be specific and, and learning concrete skills in each of those areas. And I just want to say it's been really, really cool to see what God has been doing through through those times. I remember a time where I, I was, you know, we were having one of our one of our meetings, and and Travis Gunther was saying like, man, like I'm I'm learning that I need to apply the Bible specifically. You know, it's not enough just to say, it's not enough just to say like, oh yeah, here's, that's the principle, but no, what am I going to do about this? How is my life going to change? What am I going to do this week in response to this? You know, Cameron Wellborn, I mentioned you know, he was, he was baptized just this past spring and to see him going from somebody who didn't know very much about the Bible to somebody who is reading the Bible every day or on a very consistent basis, reading, actually starting in Genesis and not quitting in Leviticus, making it through Leviticus, gold star for that. And, and then recently we've been talking about what does it look like to take these things that we're learning, not just to learn this knowledge, this head knowledge, but to actually take it and apply it, but not stop there, but to say, how can I share this with other people? How can I use this to encourage somebody else? 
And just yesterday, Cameron and Stefan and I were in a meeting last night, and we were just talking about what does this look like? How, how can we how can we encourage our families? How can we encourage our children? How can we live this out in our families? How can we not only love God's word and let it dwell in us richly, but how can we lead our wives and our kids in that as well? And when I see that, when I see people saying, man, I'm really excited about reading the Bible with my family. Yeah, I can't wait to share this with my wife. I think, I think, my, I think my kids really need to hear this. That's the Holy Spirit working, isn't it? That's progress, okay? And I think about, so I think about in the open life section. So in our church, we have about, so we, we, have, we have over 150 people that are in life groups. Another, you know, shameless plug for life groups. So we have over 150 people that are in life groups. We have 15 life groups. We have life groups everywhere from, from up into to Morrisville to, to Holly Springs and to Cary and Apex, kind of all around this, this area. We have 15 life groups. Some of them are just starting out. I was talking to, to Eric Dinger this morning and hearing about how the Dingers and the Trebbings are super pumped about starting a life group. And, and I love what they were saying to me, which was, we don't want this just to be about Christians getting together and having a Bible study. We want this to be about reaching our neighbors. And we're thinking about specific ways that we can organize what we're doing so that we can bring people in so that they can hear the gospel and we can build community with, with our neighbors. Okay, we have over 150 people in, in 15 different life groups. Some of those life groups are, are bursting at the seams. They're getting ready to multiply and to plant a new life group. And I love what I've heard from some of, some of these groups that, that on the one hand, they love the people in their group so much. You know, they, they don't want anybody to, they don't want to not be in a group with somebody, but they want to multiply. They want to plant a new group because they want their neighbors to be able to get in the, involved in the group too. And when you hear about some of the conversations that are happening in life group, I know my life group is a place where if you had a fight with your wife, you know, if your kids were, you know, being little hellions this week, you know, you, you can talk about it. And, you know, it's not just a pity party. It's not just a, oh, yeah, I mean, nothing we can do. You know, we encourage each other. We challenge each other. But it's a place where if you're struggling, if you're hurting, you know, we've had people in, just in the past year in our, in our church family that, that have said, you know, our marriage is struggling. And sure, we could just kind of we could just kind of put on the face and do the things and, and just go through the motions and say, oh, everything's fine. You know, maybe you argued or something like that. But we're not going to do that. We, we want help. We want people to come alongside of us. We want a, a marriage not just that isn't a disaster. We want a marriage that glorifies God. And in order to do that, we want to open up a little bit. When I hear things like that, that's the Holy Spirit working. That's progress in the mission that God has called us to. I think about open faith, this idea of letting our light shine before other people. You know, um, talking to, to Michelle Lee, who had, a, had a, a really good job at Cisco and said, I'm going to give that up and I'm going to go to work and be a teacher at Panther Creek High School because that's my mission field. And I'm praying for those kids 
I'm talking to those kids. I'm learning about their struggles. I'm coming alongside them. I'm trying to, I'm trying to introduce them to Jesus. That's progress. That's what it looks like to be a successful church. That's what it looks like to be a church where God is working. Like I said, when I hear the, the dingers and the trebbings saying, we want to start a new group. Yeah, we could just kind of hang out with all our friends and, and just have a good time every day. But we want to reach our neighbors because that's what God's put us here to do. When I hear about, when I hear about the, the Bowmans, when I hear about Lauren and Jeff Bowman and their heart for foster care and their heart to bring other children that they never met before into their home just to show them the love of Christ and to connect with other foster parents around the community. That's what it looks like to be a successful church. When I hear about, when I talk to Dennis Abel and I hear about the ways he's playing tennis with people, praying for the guys he's playing tennis with, sharing the gospel with them, building relationships with them, praying for the neighbors, that's what it looks like to be a successful church. You know, just a, a couple months ago, um, some of the residents of, of Woodhall, the neighborhood Woodhall, just right across the street here, uh, and I got together and we said, we're, we're going to meet every month and we're just going to have a prayer walk for this neighborhood. And we just, we walked around, we prayed, and we just prayed for our, for our neighbors, seeing Ed Hogan, seeing Paul Rim, seeing some of, the, seeing James Wong, seeing other people walking house by house and saying, okay, here's the family that lives in this house. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for this family. Let's pray for, oh, I know this family, they have this going on. Let me pray for them. Let's pray for this thing that's happening in our neighborhood. Let's pray that God would raise up disciples here. Guys, that's what it looks like to be a successful church. It's not, we don't judge success by having a celebrity pastor. We don't judge success by having thousands of people or having a, a giant cathedral building. We don't judge success by having a really flashy sound and light show every Sunday. We don't judge success by anything except are we making disciples? Are we bringing people into God's family and are we teaching them to live a life characterized by open Bible, open, open life, and open faith? And God is working. God is working among us. So who are we? Okay, we are a family of disciples that are making disciples. So we are going, on November 14th, we're going, we're going inside so we don't freeze our you-know-what's off this winter like we did last winter. And we're going inside to, to White Oak Elementary School so that we can stay in this community while we're working on plans to build right here on this corner. Because we believe that God has called us to be a light for Jesus right where he's planted us right here. And we want to be a family of disciples who are making disciples, who are learning to trust, love, and obey Jesus, and who are teaching each other to live a life characterized by open Bible, open life, and open faith. So that's what we're doing. I hope you're excited about that. I'm really excited about that. For the next three weeks, Matt Rice and I are going to be talking about specifically what that looks like. We're going to be talking about specific skills, specific uh, texts, specific action plans that we can have to develop 
ourselves individually to develop our life groups and also to develop our families and develop our church body in these three different areas, these three family values that we have. So come back next week and we'll dive into that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for what you're doing. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Father, I pray for this church. I thank you for giving us the privilege and the blessing to be a part of this church family. God, I know we're far from perfect. I know we have a long way to go. I know I have a long way to go. But God, I just ask that you would work in us, that you would work through us. Help us to help us to live life with an open Bible. Help us to live life in community with each other. Help us to let our light shine onto those around us. Please do this by the power of your spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.